Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's guest on Dirty Water brought a brutal but beautiful savagery to professional surfing. His favourite tee featured a skull and the slogan, kill them all, gobble sort them out. And he was the star of the Quicksilver ad, if you can't rock and roll, don't fucking come. He's a three-time runner-up to the world title, two of them in excruciatingly controversial circumstances, although he even the ledger a little later in his career by winning three Masters World titles. He was the King of Sunset, a pipeline master, and had the extraordinary ability to gain 15 pounds for added ballast during the Hawaiian season and then shred 30 prior to hitting the small wave events. But as my old friend Rob Bain told me recently, as legend fades and real-life starts to stare back at you, it's a challenge to navigate the autumn years in peaceful contentment. Our guest, Gary Conk. Good, guess. How you doing? Pretty good. All right. Not bad, actually. Well, uh, you know, a few health issues, but that's all right. <laughs> hey, so I thought, um, first of all, let's do a bit of background on where you're living now, what you're doing, and, and maybe talk about your little hip thing. Yeah, well, um, I'm living on the Sunshine Coast, Malulaba, and um, I, I injured myself at... A workplace thing about five months ago, and then that led to I found out that I need a hip replacement. So, what was the injury, and what were you doing? Um, what happened was about a year and a half ago, I had to have a good look at myself. I blew out to about 146 kilos. Uh, wasn't surfing. I was just in a bad spot, you know. I just done. Dad was sick just on these deathbed kind of thing and kind of last of the bloodline um, upwards. And uh, and I remember I had to do this photo for North Shore Board Riders and I saw the photo and I was like, are you kidding me? I'm about to die. So um, what I did is I went and I studied uh, intermittent fasting and I went and got a job as a delivery driver uh, delivering to restaurants. So, you know, del- delivering like 20 litre drums of oil and bags of rice and all sorts of different things from crackers to everything, right? Yeah. And uh, that was that was like a six in the morning till two in the afternoon. And I did that for a year and a half of the internet fasting and lost about 42 kilos. Um, but in doing that, what's happened is that I've... Um, the hip has already been gone. I didn't know about it, but I jumped out of the side of the, like, got out of the side of the truck, didn't jump. I got out of the side of the truck and um, I did something to my uh, left knee. Uh, it's the knee I injured at sunset when I got all the stitches into that year um, by that flying board. And I had nothing going on in the hip. And then about three weeks later, I started getting all this pain in the hip and it just really started getting bad. And um, about... Two months ago now, I got the uh, MRI and and X-rays done, and it that's like the hip, the left hip is perfect, but the right hip looks like it looks deformed. It looks like it's all it's just so deformed, and it looks like the bone, it's just bone on bone, and it's pretty bad. So at the moment, 
um, I can hardly walk on crutches. Yeah, not good. And you're saying that um, your buddies have come together and uh, raised some money for the operation, huh? Oh, I listen, had some friends that have, that have helped that have helped me out uh, because in Australia, uh, uh, work like you know this kind of happened at work really. Uh, well, work cover don't cover it. Um, if you're not if you're not private and you go public, you got to wait nearly two or three years to get it done. Uh, you can go private. Um, you got to pay for a year private, four hundred something bucks a month, and then you still got to pay three grand on top of that to get it done. But wait a year, um, and I was just in a situation that, uh, just in a situation that I was, you know, financially, um, I just I couldn't. I had my hands tied, and I just was getting. I can't even, you know. I can't even tie my shoelaces up. Can't even get to my feet. Really, can't even touch my toes. Excruciating pain, twenty four seven. It's been like that for about two months now. Two um, morphine and all the drugs they've given me don't even work. So it's been a little interesting couple of months, mate. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so the, the morphine doesn't work because it's nerve pain, huh? I don't know. I think it's. I don't. It's probably nerve. But uh, by the look of the X rays, um, just the way the bone has. Like what happens is that when it gets that bad bone on bone, it just kind of um, it actually cr- tries to bind together at a point. You know, yeah. it actually tries to grow the bone and the hip tries to grow around the, the ball socket to stop it from moving, just for protection. Yeah. So, and the funny thing about it is, it's been like that for a long time. Like, you know, my specialist and that reckons it's been going on for about fifteen years. And I've never really... I have felt it. I don't have felt it in my surfing. Um, I felt 10 years ago I started really having trouble getting my back foot in the right position. And But I had no pain with it. I could never work it out. But I know what it was now. And um, so, yeah, on the 14th, in uh, two weeks, I have the operation, thank God. Yeah. Wow. So uh, how much does the operation cost? Like 30 grand or something? It's about 30 grand. Yeah. yeah in Australia. You know, and I just feel for some people that don't, you know, I'm just lucky to have some good mates and and um, to, 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 to help out um, because I can't imagine sitting around for two years like this. I just, I, it's just, I don't know. You couldn't do it. You'd go to some pretty dark places, huh? Sorry? You'd probably go to some pretty dark places. Yeah. Listen, it's been hard already, you know. Um, but... You know, I've got a, good, a lot of good people around me, so that, that's important. Are you married or anything now? No, not married. No. Um, not married. Single. Yeah. And, Single and uh, looking, man? Sorry? Single and looking? Uh, no, nah, very happy, mate. Um, I've got a lot of friends around. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, um, yeah, nah, those days are over, mate. <laughs> Hey, it's funny you're talking about the uh, you know your wild weight fluctuations because I was reading an interview just before on uh, you know Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing and Reggae wrote it, John Ellis. <clears throat> it was from when you were 32, and you spoke about how you, before you went to Hawaii you would put on a stone so you'd be um, a bit more ballast in the water, and then you drop from six and you could you could drop from 16 stone to 11 and a half stone. So from you know I guess um, what's that you know like 250 pounds to about 180. 
Yeah, I was very fortunate um, with my body that I could actually, I could do that. And, you know, in saying that, with having, um, with having uh, the type of circuit we were on back then um, was just, it was brutal because we had Hawaii and then we had to surf in minute waves. <laughs> so I was quite lucky I could fluctuate my weight really quickly like that, which in the end is not a good thing. Um, I wish I knew about intermittent fasting back then. It's really, intermittent fasting has been a big saviour in my life. Like if I didn't do that a year and a half ago, I would be dead. The doctor said you would be dead by now. You would have had a massive heart attack. Jesus. So how do you, how do you, um, how do you operate with intermittent fasting? Or what's your program? Well, the program is that you actually start, um, you start off on a thing called, uh, well, it's, it's a time thing when you eat, right? So basically I started off on Warrior, which you're allowed to eat between 12 and 6. And you have to stop eating at 6 because most people's body takes 12 hours to eat all the sugar out of it. So, you know, if you stop eating at 6 and you arrive at 7 in the morning, your body actually has a, a click inside it that just switches to keto, the famous keto word that everyone tries to do through, dot through eating and all this other crap and training, which um, it does work, but it's a lot harder to stay in the keto state. So mm-hmm. when you stay in the keto state, you're actually, the body's eating fat. And if you do any type of exercise within that, um, it's just really burning the fat. You know, and why a lot of people give up on that is that they don't see any visual results um, because it takes about three months of doing that to four months because it starts eating all the fat around your organs first, so you see nothing on your face or around your gut or anywhere. Yeah. And then after four months, I switched to OMAD, which is pretty gnarly. You can only eat between four and six. Jesus. And um, I try to eat what I want, you know, um, and have a few beers. And, and But um, I only do it in between those those hours. And it's just been a remarkable result, you know. The photo I've got um, from when I started to now is like two different people. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's crazy. Um, and the, sec- the second thing I realised is that that the energy levels that you have when your body is in the keto state, like when it's burning fat, your energy is so much more, how do you say, it's just it's just a stronger energy. Like a more focused energy? Yeah, you just focus and it's just more. So, yeah, it's been a game changer for me and um, and uh, I think, you know, I had, to, I had to go through that to, <laughs> to get my hip fixed. Yeah. So... And, and thank God that's happened now and not when I had, when I was 140-something kilos, you know. So um, 14 days down, I'm really pretty hard on myself right now coming up to the off and to just, you know, intensifying the muscles around my, my back leg. Yeah. My right leg, leg the power leg. Um, and, yeah, just getting ready for the off. Jesus, man. So how many kilos have you lost? I think I've lost like 42 kilos. Fuck, that's about, for the Americans, it's probably about 80 pounds, huh? Yeah, it's crazy. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's insane, man. Yeah, it is. And and you know what? Anyone can do it. It's just, you've just got to be mentally strong on where you want to go with it. You know, I've 
got a daughter that's 17 years old now, and, you know, I want to see her get to 21. <laughs> yeah. So I had a few motivations, and, and, and my surfing, you know, my surfing just deteriorated completely, you know, and um, I just, it was just, uh, it was, you know, I just wasn't enjoying surfing at all, you know, so... This is a game changer for me, and it's a second lease on life. Uh, most people that have spoken to that have had it done, which is, you know, there's a lot of surfers. One in particular, Glenn Casey's been giving me some good info. He's had a double hip replacement, and that's just changed his life. You know, his surfing's just like he's just loving it now, um, and they're pretty good at it. You know, they get up and walking around pretty quickly, but you've got to do the right rehab and re-education for all that stuff. So, yeah, we're looking at... I'm looking at getting back in the water um, right now, 1st of January. Okay. I'm going to give it the, the right time, you know, the five, six months, seven months, whatever it takes to, to get it, you know, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be... Um, yeah, it's going to be a wild change in your life. Yeah, you know, and it... That it is it is a big change in, in my life because I've had to, you know, just change a, change a few things that I do. You know, the, just a few things, a lot of things I do in my life. You know, I've just sort of lived for granted, and I've never really had any big operations before or major major injuries except a appendix. So um, at fifty going on fifty eight soon, um, it's been a pretty good run. Yeah, and just the the ability to live pain free will be transformative. Oh, that that is the that is the biggest thing I'm looking forward to. I mean, I can't even explain. Like, there's just you know, I'm sitting right now. I've got this one position I can sit, and it's just like, uh, don't move, man. Leave you do. Just stay right there. <laughs> <laughs> so um you know i'm quite lucky i've got a good friend taking care of me um you know which, which you need help with these things you can't do it on your own um so yeah that's where i'm at right now um i'm just looking forward to getting repaired and, and getting back in the water yeah so i spoke to um about your old friend rob bain um before i called you <clears throat> and he suggested we talk about the navigation of life as the legend fades away and real life starts to stare back at you. Mm. So how's it been for you? I mean, you, I think you retired in 96 or 97, and, but then you did the three Masters events, you won them all. So um, I guess around probably 2010, it probably started to fade a bit, the the whole surf, pro surf thing. Would that be correct? Uh, yeah, I forget when the Masters were. The, the full pro thing, yeah, I think 2010, 2013. I'm not sure, around then. I can't remember, man, that far. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, and then the Masters come along and I've got to redeem myself there, which is great. And um, and that's when I kind of, you know, I did the Masters the other year in the Azores, but I wasn't really prepared for that. Um, it was just a, a reunion thing for me to, to meet up with old mates and um, I had no expectations of, of, of winning the Masters, Um especially after winning it three times in a row. That's uh, already been done sort of thing. But uh, that, that event is just, a, it's just an amazing event to connect with people. Yeah. 
What, what, oh, what, was it, what was it like, you know, when you, you know, because, yeah, you left the tour and <clears throat> the, the big pro tour in 1996-97. What was it like stepping away and having just to be a, you know, a regular civilian like all of us? Um, look, I, I was quite fortunate when the kind of all happened that I had my daughter was born and um, I had a different responsibility and we'd move, I'd moved back to Australia. I was living at uh, Ocean Shores at that time and I had about three... My partner at that time had a business, so there was money there and I was doing little surf coaching things on the side and I was kind of lost, you know, um, and... I took my daughter to a swimming lesson, well, a couple of times, a, a, a spot out the back of uh, Mullumbimby, and I just didn't didn't agree with me the way they were teaching kids to swim. So um, I built a uh, massive indoor kids swimming centre called Kong for Kids, which I had for about 12 years. I did really well, doing about 200 kids a week. Um, I was the main teacher there, teaching kids to swim. Um, it was really, really cool. Um and what, what happened to the swim school? Uh, well, I, did, I wasn't married, but I, I separated from my Brazilian partner there. That's the mother of Luna, my daughter. And um, I went to the Gold Coast and did some work at Mount Woodgee for a little bit. And, uh, and then I moved up to the Sunshine Coast and... I sort of sloughed around and blew out 240-something kilos. And, uh, yeah, and just sort of got my life back on track now. But um, it's been an interesting run. Listen, when you actually leave the tour, and it took me a little while to get it just because I had my daughter, but I guess for a lot of people it's really, really hard. It's, it's a really hard thing when you see the train leave the station. You know, and, and you've got to actually go and do and find something else. And again, I've been very fortunate. Some people haven't um, in my generation because we didn't make much money, you know, really. Um, my properties that I owned, I lost in France to my first wife. So, um, and I still don't own a, a property. So I just basically, I just, live my life the way I'm living it right now you know like day by day and just uh, enjoying it like I said I've got a beautiful healthy daughter and my life's back on track and yeah it was interesting that it was interesting that move to France I think you're maybe 22 23 <clears throat> and then that marked that big shift for you you know obviously from Kong to the you know to the very serious professional and also from tough kind of um, you know son of a um uh, fisherman to this kind of urbane sophisticate. What, what you know? What do you? And you, you learned French too, didn't you? Because you lived there for ten years. Yeah, I still speak um, fluent French better than a lot of mates who still live there, like Reed Pinder. Yeah, or Fipsy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he thinks he can speak French, but he can't. But, um, <laughs> his coffee's all right, but that's about it. Uh, no, I love the guy. Um, no, listen, I, I, I was, I moved there really like early 80s, kind of, like there was, I think there was only Belly and Morris Cole there at the time. Um, yeah, it, you know what, that was a, a big change in my life as well, 
you know, and meeting Pascal and, um, you know, I have to say, like, you know, the pinnacle of my kind of surfing, I really feel, was, you know, from 85 to, to 90, you know, those five years there, a bit further on, but really, you know, all those events that I won in Pipe and, and, and the Triple Crowns and all that stuff as well I was living in France. So and I had a really good focus on it, you know. Um, for 27 years I was in France. So, uh, you know, nearly more than half my life. Well, I didn't realise you were there for so long. Yeah, yeah, 27 years I was there. Um, saw the whole changing of the guard there, you know, from I think Rip Curl had kind of just really started the year before and there was no, no uh, hint of Quicksilver or, or um, Billabong. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a classic time. I was actually, you know, very lucky to, very lucky to see a lot of things in my life, but that was one of them. Um, you know, seeing Frank's in those early days with Le Gravier with no one out, really. There was me and Morrison Belly and a handful of French guys that wanted to have a, attack it, have a go at it. And, and uh, years before jet skis and years before social media, it was great. My God, it must have been um, unbelievable. Where, where was your... Cause I know you started off in Lacanau, but um, you had a place in Hossegore later on, didn't you? Yeah, I lived in, in Lacanau for about 10 years. Uh, that was great. And I always, you know, went south and the swell wasn't... Uh, got bigger and I knew it was on to Hossegore. Um, so I had the best of both worlds. Because living in, in the Meadow, um, there's, there's a lot of good waves up there when, when the swell direction's right and it's not too big. And obviously you live in the Medoc, so you've got all the best wine in the world, um, which I acquired a very great taste for <laughs> <laughs> after a while. Plus, you know, and their food and their culture and everything about the French way of life. I just really love that way of life, you know. And um, it's dramatically changed now, like the rest of the planet, you know. Yeah, it's so different. I think there's, um, I think Morris is telling me there was, he counted, I think, 1,300 people getting surf lessons on, on that stretch from, you know, Lenore upwards? Yeah, surfing's just gone absolutely crazy. I mean, you know, we've seen it in Australia but, um, as well. Uh, but, yeah, so 27 years in France and then uh, moving back to Australia was was really interesting. Uh, it felt like moving, like you live in a box in Australia, like, you can't, you're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I call it the land of no. What do you call it? The land of no. Oh, the land of no. <laughs> you know, you, you want to take ham off the sandwich of the thing. No, I can't do that. You know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. There's traffic signs, there's this, there's that. There's these, all these rules and regulations. It's like, I just again feel so blessed to have, you know, you know, remembering the, the real start of it in the, in the you know, just after, you know, 77, 78, when I really got into surfing and and um, it was just it was just phenomenal. You know, it was just phenomenal times. Lucky to see it. And the, and the, and the growth of, of um, professional surfing, you know, that was just that was just phenomenal to see that through the 80s, you know? Yeah, and then, and then you were there when Kelly, I mean, it's incredible Kelly's still on the tour, but you were there in 92 <clears throat> when, uh, when Kelly arrived, huh? Yep. I was there when Kelly, uh, when, uh, when, um, who arrived, sorry, did you say then? Yeah, uh, Slater. Oh, Slater. Yep. 
yeah, and Tommy Car- Tommy Curran, uh, you know, arrived as well, living there. So I don't think Slade Slade Slater never lived there. But oh no, I meant I meant on the tour. I mean, you're there. On, sorry, I didn't mean to deviate from France, but I just meant on the oh. tour when um, <clears throat> you're there in '92 when Slater came along and shook things up. Yeah, he got a, he got a, he got a lot of things given to him. I have to say that. <laughs> I definitely got given that a bit at Hotspur. Oh, yeah. oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think no one really spoke about that. There was a final there, um, and uh, it was a final descending. I don't remember, but it was ten foot. Uh, it was ten foot uh, uh, canoe. Yeah. And it was somewhere there around there. It was big. It was massive. And it was really hard to get out. Anyway, I paddled out early. And um, I, they took me. I picked the window and I got out. And I'm trying to stay in a position. And they're calling Kelly. And Kelly wasn't showing up. Anyway, they, you know, they, they're going to start, supposed to start the heat. Anyway, they called, called the sound the semi the final. I'm sure it was the final semi. Anyway, they called, they called it off but Kelly could get out the back. <laughs> And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I'm already at the back. I've been sitting out here nearly 20 minutes. Yeah. And he shows up late or wherever he was, and and um, he couldn't get out. It took him three times to get out. So they waited for him to get out the back, and they started it. And I was like, I come in, and I was like, well, you know. Anyway. You would have been a little, you'd have been a little bit more verbose than that, wouldn't you? A little bit what? More verbose. Wouldn't have gone well. <laughs> uh, no, I had, you know, I've, I always spoke my truth to the ASP and the judges, what I thought. Um, probably why I lost three world titles by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you, you say that you lost two by the incompetence of the system, specifically those four-man heats, which leads into that, in, you know, 93 at Pipe when... When Des Ho blocked for Larry Rios, so he couldn't get into the final. And if you got into the final, you would have won. And then Derek wins the world title. Yeah, the one before that was even harder with Damien. Even though it was no love, Damien, but that was the year they decided they're going to finish the, you know, the world tour in Manly. Um, in Manly, and I left Hawaii in number one position. It's the year I won the events back to back. Should have been world champion. You know, um, I shouldn't have had to go on to Manly to compete in my new ways, Manly and. Funny thing about that is that the priority rule at that that stage was that if you had priority, no matter where you were, the guy who had priority caught caught the wave. Even if he couldn't get around that section, you could not catch that wave. So I was paddling back out. I needed like three points something, and this right come and Damien was way deeper, and he took the wave and just went straight in the white water, and I couldn't catch it because I would been called an interference and I would have gotten three point five and I would have won the world title that right there. But um then they changed the rule two weeks later. If the surfer can't get to where the other surfer is, the other surfer can catch the wave. I was like, the fuck you know, like, but you know that that world title, my first one should have been one in a while. Yeah. Um you know and the other one with the hose, yeah. That's a that's a that was a hard one to take, you know. Well, I think it was there was Curran and then then Derek, right? Curran come back from retirement for my second one. Yeah, and, and uh, there was a couple of weird calls in that one as well. And then yeah, the third one was was the gut wrencher, you know. So 
But, you know, listen, um, I, I'm, you know, I know what should kind of happen in my heart, but uh, listen, I had an amazing career, pretty stoked. I wouldn't change anything that, that uh, well, I'd change those rules, but I wouldn't change anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, how, how does how does someone like you, you know, who's ridden those highest of highs and the biggest waves, and you know, you have that you know massive image? <clears throat> how do you navigate these sort of later years of your life in in that you know in a peaceful contentment? Um, yeah, well, it's not easy. You know, um, it's just. It's, I think what what's hard is that you look at the future of you know you know Mick and Joel changing no disrespect to those guys in the industry and how it grew and the money everyone was making and like we were just right at the back end of it you know and you kind of you know you know some of us from my career you know have have uh, are cool they've they, they, they've done well for themselves and there's a few that haven't I think that's hard you know sometimes in life but I've always taken life as um, you know there's 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 death right and that's around us all the time but I always look at my family that are healthy and my friends that have always been positive around me and I've been very lucky like that. Um, but it's not easy. It's not easy to be, you know, travelling the world like a rock star, and then uh, two years later that you just kind of slip into the slip into the bushes, you know. Um, and you know, we were unlucky in our generation too. I think that that um, we didn't have social media. Like if we would have had social media back then, well, we would have been in a lot of trouble for sure. <laughs> but but um, you know what? It might have changed. It might have changed things. You know, it might have changed our way of looking at competing and being professional. I'm not saying that we weren't professional, but we just, you know, we liked to have fun, and there was there was no rules, and and and. Um, you know, when we put the singlet on, we we're competing and we trained and we did all that. But you know, we partied as well. And, but I think having social media back then would have would have made our, you know, Instagram accounts and all that look a lot bigger than what they actually are now. You'd certainly be a lot wealthier than you are now, mate. Yeah, and so I think out of all of it, that's the that's the hardest thing. What was what, hardest thing for me is to get my head around. But you know what? Like I said, I've been through a lot of ups and downs, you know. I've been, God, I, I can't even count how many. I've always, I've been really, really lucky that I've been able to just pull myself up and get myself going. And in saying that, the, the way that I found myself around that is is really having a vision for something and training Um has always been, even through, right through Europe and stuff, I always did my own little training and stuff and and um, especially the, the three years that I, that I finished second in the world and for the World Masters. Um, but, yeah, and you know what? Life's not easy and it's not getting any easier. You know, and that's the other thing that, that I think I look at and it's probably affected some other people um, of my generation is that, you know, life's just kicking you in the guts right now. I mean, you look at the Australian economy, you look what we've been through with COVID, you look like, you know, you go to the go to the supermarket, 
you spend a hundred dollars and you get two apples, you know, like it's it's and it's getting harder and harder, especially in this country in Australia. And you and you fill your fill your tanky car up and it's one hundred and fifty bucks. It might cost two hundred. Jesus, what are you driving? I oh no, I got I got a car, I got a really good car. Yeah, I got it. I bought it off Nick from Mount Woodsy because I only get my cars off Nick. This one I got for a hundred bucks. It's lasted twelve years. It's an XD Falcon station wagon. It's a classic. <laughs> What's that? 80, um, 84 or something? It's an answer two thousand two. Okay. And uh, yeah, it, it just I do all the oil changes myself and brake pads and stuff, and she goes like a rocket. Well, a hundred bucks is a good deal. Yeah, it's all right, eh? <laughs> and, uh, I've never been. I've never been a big fan of, of cars, motorbikes. I have, but not cars. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking before just about the um, yeah how hard it is to find that contentment in your later years, <clears throat> and it's been a wildly tragic last few years. I mean, you know, Sonny's in a you know vegetative yeah. state in Texas, and um, and Derek's dead, and, and Shmoo's dead. <clears throat> how do you how do you react to those you know horrible events? Moment. Well, um, yeah, you know, I was with Sonny and, and uh, Derek at the last Masters event in Zors, and um, yeah, listen, you know, I know Sonny was fighting depression for a long time, and you know. It's pretty unstable, something. Um, very shaman. You just you don't you just don't really know what happened, you know. But um, something clicked in their life, obviously, that um, kind of left them feeling empty. I guess that they had felt like they had nothing, you know. And 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 geez, they they had a lot more to give, you know, in life. Um, again, I think there's no there's no support for there's no support there was no support net for us, you know. Um, and I, I'm I'm good I'm good I'm I'm really upset about those three, uh, you know, taking their lives. But um, there's no support from the association that we we gave our lives to. You know, I think I think that's there's a there's a real issue there. It's I think when you finish, they just you finish. You know, they just they trash you really, and you're off tour, and and that's it. And there's there's no support net. You know, like you know, there's no support net for Andy either, right? Yeah. You know, I've always said if they had proper proper drug testing on the world tour, things would be a lot look a lot different than what they do now today. Fuck it wouldn't sure. there wouldn't be anyone left on it from back in the nineties anyway. Well yeah and I just I don't think I don't think I'm not talking about uh, recreational drugs with Andy, I'm talking about heavy prescription drugs. Yeah and, and different kinds of stuff. But yeah, listen, it, it's a that's a hard those 
and two, but those those three especially. I mean, I was close to Shamu, Derek, and and and, and especially Sonny. And um, yeah, mate. I guess some people just, you know, we don't know why. Um, I've never had those thoughts. Thank God. Um, and like I said, I've always I've got really good people around me that care about me and are always checking on me. So, yeah, that was a tough one to swallow, man. Like, you know, I lost my dad at the same time. It was just like a... That was a... That was a whole... Yeah, gnarly year, man. Gnarly year for me, that's for sure. And you were were really close to, to Bully, huh? To who's that, sorry? To your dad. Boy. Yeah, Dad was um, the ball. Jeez, he outlived himself. That's for sure. But uh, it was quite, quite funny. On um, Christmas morning, I just um, he was in Grafton, palliative care. That's where his sisters are. And I just, uh, I had a feeling about Christmas morning when I stuff it. I'm, just, I'm going to see the old man. You know, let's jump the car down. And got the call when I was pulling in Grafton that he had a turn and he had, he had a few and. Um, yeah, that night he died at um, 11, 11 p.m. Jesus. And you were there? No, I just left. Wow. Yeah. Uh, hung with him to, right till his end, just about. So, you know, and then Sonny and then Derek and Shamu and, you know, and then God, and just, you are asking yourself questions, you know, like, what the fuck's going on here, you know? But, again, the older we get, it seems like the more people that start to pass away, sadly, you know, it's life. Yeah, it is life. I mean, you know, the, the passing of life is <clears throat> something that becomes, you know, incredibly into relief as you, as you get older. Like more and more people die, but it is because they're getting older and that's, that's what happens to all of us. There's no, uh, there's no way out. Yeah, there's been a lot of people this year. I mean, you know, warning, I knew warning a bit. That was a hard one to take. And Fuck, he died with his boots on, though, huh? He died with his boots on. Fucking three, three, three hookers in a whatever else in a, um, in a fancy villa in Thailand. Well, I don't, I don't know those full reports, but I hope he did. Yeah. It's quite a great way to go out. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic warning, huh? Yeah. But, um, you know, for the surfing world, yeah, I don't know. If there was, I don't even know if the association even sort of thought about that. You know what I mean? Like, what's going to happen to these guys? Like, when they're off tour, like, what? Does any sport look at that now? Do they? Do they? Or they don't because they make that much money and they've all got three houses and their cars and you know. Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah. now now there's a pension plan, but um, I guess ironically. It's um, like you said. You know, most guys will retire with a with a roof over their head and a little bit of money in the bank. And if you, if you've done well, you'll have you know ten houses and yeah, bunch of cars. And that's and that's great. I'm I'm stoked for the way the sport's gone. Like that. It's fantastic. It's just you know, in generation talks when you look at guys like Rabbit who are making even less. You know, you know. Sometimes I wonder what what they think. But life life is just really it's just a lot harder now. You know, it's not the same cash flow. You know, you look at prices going up around the world, housing prices, um, the whole COVID thing. 
um, it's affected so many people, you know. You know, and you look at look at look at the floods that we've had, you know, on the east coast of Australia. I mean, so many people's lives have been affected the last few years in different ways, and and you know, we don't hear all the bad results of of, of what's happened to them as well. You know, we just hear the what happens. A few things that happen, not everything. So, yeah. So what's I the- just wish. Yeah. There you go. You go there. I just, I just wish. I just wish. I, I I I don't know why. Like with Derek and Shmoo and Sunny, I you know they've got so many people around. I just don't know why that could have happened. I don't. That's what I still find it hard to understand. You know, they're people that are surrounded by good people. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know. I know, I know that if I was in that position, I'd, I'd be putting my, my mates that are here, I'd be putting my hand up straight away and going, hey, guys, you know, my, my really best mate, he's been fighting the black dog for, for, for a while, for many years, and um, I'd put my hand up straight away. You know what I mean? No matter what. But you've always, yeah. been, you've always been a pretty optim- optimistic kind of cat, though, huh? Yeah, you know, if I really weigh up my, my year, I had a... Um, you know, like, I just, you know, my dad and Sonny and Derek and and um, Shamu, um, I just had an eight-year relationship finish really badly. Um, I've had, and then all this going on with the overweight stuff and the hip and stuff, I've had it really, really full-on year. But I'm always looking at the positives. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't like living, I'm learning about this stuff of like, you know, you live in the past, you kind of live in depression. You live in the future, you've got anxiety, you know what I mean? What's coming up? You're living in the present, you can control control the present. You know, you you can visualise where you're at day by day and what you're doing. That's kind of how I look now. I, I do plan ahead with good things and I do have some really good things coming up with Mount Woodgie and some great stuff going to happen with Bede and Mount Woodgie and stuff that's in the pipeline what are you doing uh, are you doing Kong surfboards or something <laughs> mate they've been selling Kong surfboards for about 30 years now <laughs> right okay. um, no there's a lot of good stuff happening with Mount Woodgie that um, regarding the factory and stuff I can't get into the detail but um, there's probably uh, soon I'll be moving down the Gold Coast I believe um, but um, that's going to kind of kick in again at the end of the year. So I always, I've always been someone that's been lucky to, you know, I've been on a lot of, you know, drugs and stuff back in the day and been able to get back and pull myself out and get back on the right straight and narrow, you know. Some people don't have that. Some people look really, really tough and really strong and really thin like Sonny and, you know what I mean? And But inside there's a spot there that's... That's not right, you know, and it's it's not just in surfing. I think it's in I think it's in a lot of sports. We need to we need to look at it more closely, you know, and we need people to understand that there's help, you know, there's help there, you know. Those 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 three guys had you know, look at the futures of those guys, you know, if they got help, you know, 
Well, Derek was different, huh? Derek, Derek had a heart attack or something. Yeah, I think, you know, that had claim to a lot of other stuff that he was doing as well, you know. Um, you know, uh, but he wasn't, Derek wasn't well either. Yeah. Um, that was that was a sad one because that was really out of the blue and he'd been a pipe and <clears throat> surfing amazing and <clears throat> doing videos with Mason. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't looking well though, you know. There's a... I, I won't go into that one, but... There's, yeah, it's very uh, sad. It's, um, yeah, you know, and it just hits close to home, you know, and, you know... Like I said, I'm going on 58 this year, and yeah, God, I've had some. I think I think the hardest, the hardest year of my life I've had has been this this year, and the start of last year was you know stunning my dad and and all that, and moving right through to you know my my uh, partnership I had with the person for for like eight years. I was really really close, but just yeah. Ended in a really, really bad way. Um, not on my side, but um, and that that's that's taken a toll because then I sit here on my own, going, I'm kind of helpless with all this happening. But again, when I say to like people like that, you've always got to look at the, you've always got to look at the positive stuff. And I used to do something on tour that no one, I didn't tell anyone about, but um, I knew I was very fortunate on tour. Um, even though I probably acted like a rat bag and a dickhead most of the time. Um, but I would go to, um, everywhere I'd go, I'd go to the local hospital and go to the children's ward and give out stickers and posters to all the sick kids. Because what it did that it actually brought me back to realise that how fortunate I was. And I think that's the thing I still look at sometimes and I say to friends, I go, well, you know, and they're whinging about, you know, it's raining or it's, you know, it's too hot or whatever. It's like, you know, go for a walk down the children's ward, you know. Go see the parents that are going to have their kids in hospital, like, 24-7. They don't have a life. You know, we're still able to, to do stuff and to get around. And, and in that situation, you're blessed. Oh, we're you know, very, very lucky. Every every day above ground is a good day, man. Yeah, no, and that's how I look at it. I just go, you know, like, I think of kids that are handicapped. I think of, you know, my daughter is, like, super healthy and just charging and the mum is and, and, you know, and myself, you know. I went, uh, God, I had to do a bloody stress test heart thing where they pumped fluid into it two days ago, right? And I'm going, my dad's had quadruple bypasses, had stints put in the bypasses. You know, like, I'm just a classic candidate for it. I don't smoke anymore. I got smoking like six years ago. It's great. And I was waiting for the test to come back. I got it yesterday and they went, the pipes are perfectly clean, mate. There's nothing in there. I went, bullshit. They went, no, you're clean. You're good. And I went, holy shit. And that just gave me a, you know, even if it didn't, but, you know, just little... There's little things in life that you've got to just pick pick and, and put it in your pocket and make yourself feel good, you know? And, you know, I look around 
my room right now and I look at all my accomplishments that are on the wall and stuff and I'm I'm stuck. Maybe I didn't get the three world titles that I really wanted, but I know around 85 to 90 that I was probably doing the best surfing on the planet and that's what really matters inside my heart. So the next few years are looking pretty good, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Even hobbling around now in pain. <laughs> next year's next year's looking good. Next year's looking really good. And a big another big change in my life. And I've had so many changes. So many changes from growing up on the prawn trawler, from the world tour, living in France for twenty seven years, teaching kids to swim. I've been a carpenter and building Mount Witchy factory, all that Mount Witchy stuff. I built that for my mate a whole lot. Gutted the whole interior, polished every single thing that was done in there. I had my hands on that factory. Um, to, you know, going down a one-way path again and just not caring about myself and going to a 140 thing, then turn around again and come back out of that hole, which I did. And now just first really major, major surgery um, and and everything's looking good for that so yeah fingers crossed and 1st of January I'll be back in the water on my 6'4 and not my 8 footer <laughs> can't wait to see you shredding again man yeah I'm I'm, I'm, I'm pumped yeah Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.